if everyone would just sit down and try to consider somebody else's perspective, which I think is what you need to do if you're trying to incentivize that person to do something, it's on you to make that choice attractive to them, then I think we would solve a lot of these problems. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello and welcome to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm joined by Sebastian van Heinigen. He's the president of Central Metric and has worked across pretty much the entirety of the sales function across his career. Sebastian, it's great to chat to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm really interested to know because I know from your LinkedIn, you've worked as an SDR, gone to an AE. Now you're president of Central Metric. Love that title, by the way. What's your story? How have you got to this point? Yeah, I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> I'll try to, I'll try to keep it brief. But yeah, basically I, I came into the world, the, the exciting world of SaaS through the SDR function. Um, I was just out of school and kind of internship hopping, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, but knowing that I had a huge student loan balloon hanging over my head and, so I, I, uh, very too, very much too late in my, uh, college career, I decided I cared about getting a job. And so I had about three different internships, uh, that summer after I graduated. One of them was at a small startup called Namely, um, helping the SDR team prospect and, uh, run their blog. And, um, through a kind of a stroke of luck, you know what? We were all out one day drinking and, the CEO and the head of sales were looking at each other like, oh man, we really need SDRs. Where are we going to find SDRs? And I just like slowly put my hand up and that got me my first job offer as an SDR. Um, yeah. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of ups and downs and sideways from there. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously, yeah, so you started as an SDR, went into being an AE. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And then obviously yeah. how you've gone from an AE to what you're doing today. Yeah, I mean, well, I never was just strict AE. I, I was a full cycle seller. Um, when I was actually at Namely, they offered me an AE promotion and I looked at the room full of AEs and I was like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a cultural, um, homogeny, uh, that takes place in a, a given SaaS organization where everybody's from the same crew or, you know, your dad knows his dad or our cousins went to college. And basically the, the type of person that I saw as an AE, I didn't see myself as that type of person. You know, I, I wasn't a wolf of Wall Street extra, basically. And so I turned down the AE position to pursue the SDR manager track, uh, which was an incredible mistake uh, because nobody will hire you to be a manager if you haven't already been a manager. And so I kind of got trapped in that cul-de-sac for a few years, took a few player coach roles, took that full cycle sales role that I was talking about. And then again, through another 
incredible stroke of luck, I ended up as a consultant at a large organization called Scaled. Uh, literally, I walked into a job interview at another business, and somebody that I went to college with happened to be a Scaled consultant. So he just saw me physically, flagged me down. Uh, the next day, I was talking to the CEO of Scaled. The next week, I was on a plane to Columbus to deliver an ICP presentation to a client of theirs. So literally, my interview process to be to get into SaaS and to become a consultant was the same thing. It was like, fuck, we need somebody. <laughs> Can you do this? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the classic, uh, not what you know, but who you know. Right? Literally, literally, yeah. And I, you know, I, I kind of grow in those environments. I'm a very learn by doing type of person. So that was the best environment, you know, just toss me into the fire and then come back in 30 minutes and usually I'm cooked well. <laughs> and then obviously... I think just to kind of round your background off, mm -hmm. now you're at Central Metric. Uh, could you just give a bit of an overview of what it is that, you, that you're doing there? Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it kind of, it's a good, you know, tail off to the, my story here is, is, you know, at Scaled, we were very process focused. You know, we would do playbooks, onboarding plans, sales training, you know, very focused on the people and how they were selling. And something that my co-founder, Kevin Lewis, and I noticed is that no matter what project we were on, there was always an element of updating the CRM, installing a new piece of software, documenting the process in a way that everyone can see. Uh, and so this was before RevOps was really even a popular term in, in SaaS. Um, but, you know, we looked at each other and decided, like, we should be focused on the tech and process more uh, rather than the people side of things. Um, and so we started, you know, three years ago, what was, you know, two sales ops freelancers kind of at the dawn of RevOps as a popular topic. And again, tremendous stroke of luck. We ended up doing this work at the same time that this work was being recognized as very important to businesses. Amazing. Uh, something that I'm actually really keen, and thank you so much for that, for adding the color. Something I'm really keen to ask based off of what you were saying before, I guess the old school a profile, right? Is, yep. is everything that you described is almost the, the stereotype in my head as well. Do you think that that's kind of a world that still exists today? Or do you think it's kind of evolving to a more progressive style of sales team and sales process? Yeah, I mean, I was actually talking about this recently with someone because I think we've done a very good job at diversifying the SDR floor. You know, people are changing careers, becoming SDRs. I've seen really successful SDRs without even having a high school degree. Um, you know, we are finally opening the door and allowing these people because it's sales. You know, you don't need a, a classic degree to know how to sell. Um, but we're finally letting people in the door. And like, I've seen a lot of those teams changing and companies dedicated to we source diverse SDR talent. Uh, but I have not seen that for AEs. Uh, I have not seen any organization that's dedicated to diversifying the AE floor. Uh, I'm not seeing a big flood of people coming from outside of the industry to become AEs. Uh, I think eventually we'll get back around. You know, if we put a, a huge ton of diverse people on the SDR floor in two to three years, many of them will be AEs. Um, but we're kind of hoping rather than acting towards that outcome.
Yeah, it's a really interesting situation where I suppose on one side of it, you kind of go with the assumption that those SDRs rather that are from more diverse backgrounds will, you would assume, inevitably go on to become the A's of the future. Yeah. But I wonder, do you think that the modern sales process or the way that sales is done at the minute, whether it's going to embrace that or do you think it's very much going to remain very much the same where, you know, it's your classic style A? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you need a, a function or a, a department to be diverse, I think the first thing you need to do is diversify their leadership. Uh, and mm. so we, we haven't seen a lot of diverse AE managers, sales directors, chief revenue officers. I mean, I, I held an event recently uh, amplifying Black voices in RevOps, and I could only find five people uh, to sit on the panel, you know? <laughs> and like, these are people that can hire diverse AEs and build diverse yeah. teams, but they're not being elevated and given the opportunity to lead and grow the team the same way that, you know, this other group, um, this homogenous group has been in the past. So yeah, I think it's, it's up and down, you know, but you know, we, we, we are moving in the right direction, but not quickly enough. Yeah. It's definitely going to be one of those. I mean, we kind of laugh about it, but it is concerning, right? That you don't have those, those profiles in the positions that are actually going to be going to be able to help bring in that change. So so something that I wanted to ask in very much like a similar vein, you know, of those sales leaders who are in that position at the minute, and, you know, based off of your experience working with a number of different companies now, yeah. what are, you know, typically, what are they doing wrong consistently? Is there like a common trend of things that you're looking at going, it seems so simple to you, but you yeah. keep going into a number of companies where it's like, ah, they just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, a lot of symptoms to the same problem, which is a lack of empathy and understanding. Uh, and you can extend it to your employees. You know, you're kind of pushing them to the edge. You're not supporting them. You're expecting outcomes that are beyond the resources that you're giving them. So you're not being empathetic of your employees. And then you could extend that to your buyer. You know, your buyer journey is fragmented. You're forcing people to take steps that they don't want to take because you're not having empathy for your buyer or your customer. Uh, and then internally on kind of the RevOps side of things, you're building a process that it pleases the stakeholders and the executives, um, but the people managing the tech, the people acting on the tech, you know, the, the software platform that you are building that is your sales process is not enjoyed by the users, which is the sales reps, the marketing reps, the CS reps, et cetera, because you don't have empathy for what they're going through every day. So I think if, if everyone would just sit down and, and try to consider somebody else's perspective, um, which I think is what you need to do if you're trying to incentivize that person to do something, you know, it's on you to make that choice attractive to them. Um, then I think we would, you know, solve a lot of these problems um, because I think they all stem down to that same, like, I want it my way. I need to hit my quota. My board needs me to hit this goal rather than thinking outwardly and focusing on the person that matters to you because you're trying to give them value and get value in return. I sense that there's definitely, you know, a disconnect really from what's happening on the front lines and what's happening obviously up at, at the boardroom level. And so what I'm wondering, and I'd love to get your opinion on now, I completely agree with what you're saying from an, from an empathy perspective, but 
I suppose from the perspective of those executives at the top, what they're looking at are the cold, hard numbers at the end of the day, you know, how much pipeline you're generating. So, you know, coming at it from, I guess, the AE perspective, what more can be done then to actually, you know, prove through that approach, you know, taking the more, I was going to say empathic, I don't even know if that's the right word, but, you know, taking, yeah, a, more emp- uh, taking a more empathetic approach to it. Yeah, and I think the leaders deserve some empathy too, right? They have a lot of pressure. Uh, They're trying to prove their hypothesis that this company should even exist in some cases. Uh, And and that's not easy. You know, you can kind of get blinders on. And I've seen that now as a founder that there's a number that we're chasing. And if I don't hit it, you know, the empathy in my brain drops. I'm just like, oh, why didn't I get there? (laughs) You start to get frustrated rather than looking for solutions. Uh, And I think, you know, kind of the way that the way that we work with our clients is, is I think a little more empathetic than the norm. Um, something as simple as you're putting in a new piece of sales technology, run it by your team, you know, ask them, do you need this? How would it improve your day? Um, you know, you have that rep, maybe, you know, I think you see the memes, AEs hate putting data in the CRM. Um, sit with that AE for a day. And figure out what processes they're taking. Are they writing it physically in a note? Uh, are they putting it in, you know, uh, a Google Doc? Like there are ways that you can find a middle ground. You know, it's not just you forcing compliance and it's not just them having complete control over your process. It's some middle ground where, you know, nobody is as happy as they possibly could be, but everybody is at least rowing in the same direction and kind of supporting each other. Yeah. And I think a lot of this stems from some quite big shifts in the way that sellers actually sell. And as such, you kind of touched on the buyer journey before, but I'd love to get your opinion on, you know, how that buyer journey has changed from your perspective and also what impact that is having, you know, on the people on the front lines who are actually trying to sell given all of the changes that we're seeing in the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you hear it a lot and I've heard it ever since I started. You know, the buyer is changing. You know, they're, they're more informed than ever. They don't have to speak to you in order to gather the information necessary to make their decision. And so where does that leave you as the salesperson? You know, you're no longer the person who, you know, jumps in out of the street and it's like, here's something you've never heard about. Uh, only the only way you can find out more information is you can ask me. Uh, and here's a, you know, a tailored list of testimonials that I knew would be attractive to you. You know, you kind of were selling in this limited space. You had control of the information. Uh, whereas now you're seeing buyers go to review websites. You know, you've seen a lot of the dark funnel stuff where people are talking about you in a way that cannot be tracked or optimized. And uh, so I think as that has happened, the response has been to make a much more complex journey. Um, and so I always think about this in terms of flow charts, right? Um, you know, I think the kind of premature sales process or before this would be a flow chart with four to five inputs, a straight line, and then two to three outputs. You know, you come in through the website, you come in through a cold call, you come in through an ad, you go through the exact same process, you exit either by becoming a customer or by saying no. Um, whereas now there might be 20 inputs on this side. You know, you've got different types of ads. You've got your podcast, you've got community, you've got Slack, you've got LinkedIn. You know, there are more ways to enter uh, and people are leaving before the end. And you need to find a way to re-engage those 
people, keep them interested, um, you know, keep their eyes on you and while also providing them value. And so throughout the entire process, you need to think about how someone can come in, come out, come back in, uh, and you need to plan ahead so that you can deliver a good experience and deliver all that value. And so there's been a lot more technologies that help with this. Uh, people are now integrating their product into their process. So, you know, you sign up for a free trial, you take, you know, X, Y, and Z actions in the product. Now this, you know, qualifies you for a different sales motion than if you came off the street or if you came in through a Facebook ad. So it's really just a, a matter of complicating our sales processes, which makes, you know, uh, a function like ours in, in RevOps very important because the more complex a system gets, the more knowledge you'll need to manage and improve that system over time. So given the fact that, you know, every sales process is pretty much unique uh, any business that you go into where uh, and particularly in the context of you know clients that you're working with when you go in and obviously take stock of of what the process looks like and what is already in place how do you start to make sense of that you know you talked about having you know potentially 20 different ins and you know there's potentially even 20 different outs at the other at the other yeah. end how do you start to make sense of it and how do you start to actually build and plan and create process around that yeah, I mean, that's the funnest part of my job, man, is being able to talk to people. And I think it starts anecdotally, you know, talk to your leader and tell them to trace a single lead through your process from start to finish. Mm -hmm. uh, that is one question that it could take 45 minutes to answer. <laughs> uh, and like that information is very important and very juicy. And then uh, while you're along the way uh, mentioning, you know, this is how a lead goes through our process, you're going to notice the gaps yourself. You know, at, at this point, an SDR calls, uh, but we've noticed it takes a little long for the SDRs to call. Boom, there's a part of the process that we can improve. Uh, at this point, the SDR hands the deal off to an AE, but we've noticed that our qualification rate at that stage is not strong enough. Boom, there's another point in your process that you can improve. And so I think if you just start with, tell me the story of how a human being interacts with your business and becomes a customer. Uh, and then from there, you allow that conversation to kind of tangent out when it needs to. Uh, and then you just write it all down. You know, I, I love Excel, Google Sheets as a way to kind of think about this in a row by row, stage by stage type of way. Uh, and once you have it written down, that's your blueprint that you can take to your CRM vendor or your marketing automation vendor. And you say, this is how we want to move people through our process. Can your technology do that? Um, and then, of course, you install the technology, you iterate over time, uh, and you make sure that, you know, above all else, you have standardized inputs so that way you can trust your reporting and then make the changes that you need along the way. Uh, so that was a long way pretty much of saying how we do things. <laughs> I actually was going to say it, it, it's, it's a beautifully simple way, actually, of, of it might have been a slightly long way, but I think it is actually a really yeah. simple way of starting to approach it because, you know, when you initially start to describe it, you know, to me in my head, I'm like, oh God, this looks like massive and complicated. Yeah, spider web. Yeah, how yeah. the hell do I even start to make sense of this, right? So actually simplifying it down is such an important first step. Now, something that I came across while listening to some of the stuff that you've kind of produced in the past, I know that you've mm -hmm. talked a lot about meeting employees where they're at. So, you know, being yeah. flexible to their needs. And I think we've touched on it. 
a little bit already in terms of understanding like where they're at in terms of the buyer journey. So for sales yeah. leaders who are obviously used to a very different way of, of working and it's very much, I'm going to bring in people that are going to make sure that they hit their number, you know, perhaps it's calls yeah. delivered. Do you have any advice for those sales leaders on how they can start to adapt? But also, can you touch on as well why it's so valuable to actually start to adapt to, you know, the fact that AEs are changing these days as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I like to think in metaphors or, or allegories or kind of see similarities in things. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. I, I love American football. The coach of the Patriots is 70 odd years old. Uh, when he started his career as an NFL coach, social media did not exist. And so for the longest time, I think it was somewhat banned in the clubhouse. Uh, and obviously that led to a glut in talent recruitment because all the cool young athletes were going other people. And, you know, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this a hundred percent, but essentially the coach of the Patriots changed his mind and decided to allow some level of social media in his clubhouse because he recognized that the times were changing. Uh, and I think it's that similar mindset that we need to bring into sales. Uh, I'm not saying that AEs need to be allowed to be on Facebook all day, uh, but figure out what that version of that is for you, you know, for your team. Is it changing the way that you run President's Club uh, and inviting more reps onto it? Is it um, opening your sales kickoff to other departments so that your sales team can see the perspective and actually learn that empathy uh, for their other kind of team members? Because, you know, AEs tend to push in deals that the rest of the company doesn't want. Um, and then I think just there's a, a, a lack sometimes of, or I guess there's when you manage a team, you're managing the performance of the team but you're also managing the career of that person. And so you have to have their interests in mind and you have to prepare them for the next role or they're going to leave uh, and they're going to churn. You know, I've, I've been that rep where I'm like, hey, blinking red light, this is where I want to go next. This is what I care about. These are the skills that I want. And it all fell on deaf ears. So what did I do? I left. Um, and that's expensive. You know, they had to pay to replace me. The pipeline I generated was lost. And, you know, several months went by before somebody was up to probably the same activity levels even that I was at. Uh, and so it's literally just take that business decision of it's expensive to replace your employees and then run it through some emotion of why are these employees leaving and what can I do to make them stay? Uh, it's, it's sales. You know, you are selling your AE on why they should stay with you and why it's important for them to grow with you rather than chase that 15, 20% salary bump somewhere else. I actually want to build on your metaphor with an example okay, right, yeah. of, of ways that, that sales is changing and, and something that I'm sure you can give a great perspective on is the use of LinkedIn mm. and, you know, social media as part of the sales process. Because, I mean, it's something that we absolutely use quite actively and there's definitely even conflicting opinions within our business yeah. of what, what the purpose of it is, right? So to you as you know, someone who I know actively uses it, what is your perspective on it and where is the value in doing it? 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's huge. And I'm sorry I didn't mention it earlier. We, you know, I think we could have mentioned it on why the the sales process is changing because you know that's one way to sell now is to be an expert on your field on LinkedIn. Uh, and so that is really the value that I see. It's it's more of a branding tool. You know, I don't see it as lead gen. You know, I'm not gonna massively blast campaigns out of, hey, talk to me real quick. Uh, I see it as demand gen. You know, here is what I do that attracts eyeballs, uh, people paying attention, uh, partners, referrals, community. All of those people are commenting, engaging with the content that I'm putting out on LinkedIn. Um, there is no, we're getting X amount of leads, we're getting X amount of revenue from this profile strategy at my current business. I think there should be in the future. Uh, but the value that we have seen from LinkedIn has been on the demand gen side of things. It's having a podcast like this, getting involved with groups like RevOps Co-op, uh, and kind of creating this scrum of people around you that say when a HubSpot problem comes for our case or a Salesforce problem comes, who do I talk to? Multiple people will point you in my direction. Uh, and we've had that where we get a referral, we go through the sales process, uh, and towards the end of the sales process, they say, well, I wanted to look at other vendors, but everyone I talked to said to talk to Seb. And here we are, you know, staring at a proposal that is about to be signed. And so th I think that is... Uh, at least for me, uh, what I see the value of LinkedIn is. It's your place to be a subject matter expert in the public square uh, in a way that generates demand. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think getting that across is, is definitely often the challenge because it's, uh, from a marketer's perspective, I, I regularly say, please don't just post out, you know, our, our next ebook or whatever and just yeah. say, hey, we just created this. I'm like, no, Check but no care for it. It's <laughs> Hashtag like, ebook. And it, you know, and I like to put it in a way where it's just think about how you engage with social media. You know, yeah. when you're flipping through TikTok or LinkedIn or whatever, what content is it that you're engaging with? You know, some people are funny. Some people are not. Some people are, and I think in your case, educational and actually want to teach people, right? And you're always being a subject matter expert. Yeah. I try um, to be funny others. too. Yeah, I think I'm funny. <laughs> I think that's a matter of opinion. Right, to be <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> granted, right? And, and so actually something that I'm pushing is, you know, you've got to find your niche, right? And, and it's to the point where, and I think the educational side of it works so well. So, because that buyer journey has changed, right? And people are coming into contact with your content at different times. And so how I like to describe it is, you know, there'll be points where from, you know, from our perspective, it might be that people want to improve their forecasting actually. Yeah. Great. Well, you know, what you actually want is you've done a, uh, a post around it or perhaps a video talking about perhaps your frustrations around it. Perhaps you make a funny video off the back of it, yeah. but it's that type of stuff that's far more likely to embed in the mind of your audience and your ICP so that when the time comes, they're like, man, I really, I actually really need to fix that problem. So I'm sure, I'm sure I heard someone like, yeah. uh, I was sort of like talking about this before and much in the same way. And then it's just like, yes, I know who it was. And then actually it's more the case as they come to you. And that yeah. is, I think the difficulty of it is being able to attribute that to yeah. be able to prove the value of it. Yeah, that's when your 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 strategy is too tied to the dark funnel to really report on, uh, because you don't know how those conversations are happening. You know, when I, when I you know we're talking to lead gen vendors right now, um, just kind of see what they offer, and 
um, what I, they keep asking me is, you know, how many leads do you typically get? And I say anywhere between one and 10 referrals come into our business every mm. month. Uh, it could be one. So far this month, it's been four. Uh, but we'll see. You know, like I can't predict that. I can't bring any regularity to that. But it has been an integral part of our business. So, you know, it, it's not to say that you should take out the cold email, the cold call approach, and you should still reach out to your buyer, especially if you have value to offer them. Uh, but this is kind of that air cover. You know, when you do reach out to them cold, the first thing they're going to look uh, up is they're going to Google you uh, or they're going to click the link to your profile that's already in your email. And then your profile comes up and look at that. You are, you know, X amount of followers, X amount of posts every day talking about the exact thing that you can help with them with over and over and over again. And then boom, there's your, your social proof. Yeah. And it, I think it's really interesting that it's kind of now reaching through to sales because obviously from a marketing perspective, it reminds me a lot of classic, you know, both organic social, but organic search as well, Yeah, where you're just there and you're visible at the time when people are searching for you. Yep. So again, like it from an episode perspective, it's when people are searching for a forecasting tool, it's us being there with content. And it's like, oh yeah, I have heard of you guys, right? I want to move on a little bit. And, okay. and really start to get into, you name dropped RevOps Co-op, shout out. I know you're really active in the community. So over the past three months, what have been some of the like hot topics that you've seen or big trends that are happening in the community at the minute? Yeah, uh, PLG is the new acronym that everyone's talking about, uh, product-led growth. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's, it's a simple concept that is incredibly difficult to put together in practice. You know, in theory, right, if someone logs into your website for free uh, and touches all of the buttons that are next to the I'm ready to buy button, then you should probably talk to them. Uh, find out why they're pressing those buttons uh, and give them a reason to press the I'm ready to pay button. Uh, but in practice, that involves, you know, in some cases, ripping all of your data out of your product, putting it into a data lake, uh, converting that data, shooting it over to your CRM. Your CRM then has automation that tells the salespeople that these actions happened. Uh, and that's if you're using a software. Maybe you're manually exporting and manually importing that data. Um, so I think that is the the number one topic that I've seen is, is product-led growth. And you know what we're trying to figure out is you know, what's the services version of that? You know, how can I offer a free trial of my consulting in a way that engages and provides value so that I can convert that trial customer in the future? And so I think that's really what I've seen a lot of is like, um, we're not going for customers right off the bat. We're just going for advocates, people on our platform, friendlies. Uh, and those are the people that will teach us how to sell to this market uh, and give us the insights that we need to actually go to market. Um, you know, two, three years ago, it was ABM. I think people are still taking ABM very seriously, but PLG is the new three-letter acronym that rules uh, RevOps right now. <laughs> I'm curious to know, do you think, um, obviously, as you say, like really hot topic at the minute, do you think it's possible to pivot to being PLG, like product-led? Or do you think it's better uh, kind of built in and, and really baked into your business strategy from the very beginning? 
Yeah. I mean, with all these things, it's better to do them first. Same thing with RevOps. It's better to install some level of RevOps first rather than clean it up after because tech debt, data debt, process debt, you know, it, it accumulates quickly over time. And um, you need to handle that before you pivot. Um, and so I, I've seen some companies pivot, but it is expensive and it is time consuming. And so you have to make that decision yourself of, you know, are you open to this? It, and it will be a disruption to your daily process. You know, are you down to commit a product resource to build a freemium uh, portal into your platform? Uh, are you down to put certain amount of your salespeople's time chasing down product leads rather than content leads or cold leads? Um, so I, I think every business makes their own decision, but it is possible to pivot. Um, and I think there are some really thought-provoking companies doing that right now. Any that you're willing to name? Uh, I mean, not, not, uh, <laughs> I mean, public wise, I, I don't know if they pivoted, but I love Airtable's model, mm-hmm. Notion's model, uh, of, you know, just get in here, sign in. I don't care. Calendly does this too. Just get in. Uh, you know, once you hit a certain point, uh, we're going to flag you and say, it's time. Put your credit card down. You need a third meeting type for Calendly. Put your credit card down. You know, you need a really complex set of automations in Notion. Put your credit card down. So I, I love that aspect of like, come on in. You know that you know the water's fine. Uh, and then when you get to a certain point of like, this is a resource I'm pulling out, uh, and it actually is you know costing the business something, then I better pay for that resource. And now the business that I'm engaged with, they know that I need it because I spent four months on their platform trying to figure out a free way to do that. <laughs> All right. I want to ask if you could recommend one book to someone in sales and they could be a sales leader or an A, take this whatever way you want. Yeah. What would it be? It would be Thank You for Arguing by Jay Heinrich. Oh, I love it. Why? Because I think people, um, they conflate arguing with fighting. You know, people say, I don't want to argue. Um, but that in itself is an argument. You know, an argument is just you using, you know, words to try and convince someone of something or push them towards an action. You know, it doesn't have to be a negative thing to argue. In sales, all we do is argue. We're presenting value and we're creating a project plan for somebody and we want them to do that thing. So we're arguing for it. Uh, and so that book goes through the different, you know, it kind of takes arguing seriously as a, a practice and it goes through tactics, methodologies, you know, ways to think about arguing so that you are presenting the choice that you want made in the best possible light. Um, I'd say it's, it's towing the line on manipulation. Uh, <laughs> but I think for a good cause, you know, arguing is always uh, a good, um, good uh, tactic to use. I love that. That's a great yeah. suggestion. Okay. Last question. And uh, because I'm super curious, your life goals are to win the Super Bowl as the owner of an NFL team and become yep. the world's most unfamous billionaire. What, what does that mean? Yeah. So I, um, it's two, two pronged reason there. Mm-hmm. The first is I wanted to be in the NFL as a kid. Uh, I'm now 30 years old. I'm never going to play in the NFL. Uh, 
I'm past it. <laughs> dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm also never going to be a coach because that's another thing where I would have to dedicate 20 years of my life starting now to even get onto the ground floor. Uh, and so the way my mind went is I still want to win the Super Bowl. You know, that moment of bliss holding the trophy with the confetti coming down. I still have that as an ideal in my mind. Um, but who gets the trophy first? The owner of the team gets the trophy first. Uh, and so going back to the Patriots reference, Robert Kraft is somebody that, um, you know, obviously as a Patriots fan, I absolutely love because I've seen him hold a trophy above his head about six times now. And so that's the way that I am now pursuing that dream of winning the Super Bowl. It's buying a team and winning the Super Bowl with that team. Uh, to that end, I've had to learn a lot about wealth development <laughs> and wealth management. Yeah, I was because gonna, I was going to say, how's it going for you currently? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm accumulating wealth at a faster rate than my peers. Uh, but as I've studied this, and I also I studied economics in college, um, I'm starting to think maybe being a billionaire is not the most morally just uh, <laughs> goal in life. Yeah. Uh, and I'm noticing that some of the richest people are spending all of their time divesting their wealth. So you spend your whole life slowly building up some huge amount of wealth that is, you know, literally because we operate under capitalism, taking resources from other people and accumulating it under you. And then when you get to a point where you're happy with it, you then just slowly distribute it out like charity. <laughs> like that doesn't feel right to me. Uh, and so I would like to pursue a method of wealth building and ownership that I don't have to go back later and give it all out. You know, I already have people that are partially owning everything. So yes, you know, if I kept everything under me, I would be a billionaire, but because I didn't, it's a billion dollars of wealth spread out among everybody that I've worked with and that has helped me along the way. Um, and I think the, the, the way that I'm chasing this recently is, uh, if you buy a house and you have a mortgage, somebody's paying you rent, they're paying your mortgage. They should get a piece of your house. Uh, which is a controversial opinion of mine that nobody supports other than renters. <laughs> but I think there's an example, you know, of if I'm paying your mortgage, I am, I'm paying the value of your house for you. I should get a piece of your house. If I'm working on your business, generating revenue for your business, I should get a piece of your, my, your business in the same way. Mm -hmm. That's the way I think out of things that I quote unquote own. I don't really own them. The community owns them. So how can I make sure that the community has their piece? Before I get to absurd levels of wealth that, you know, nobody should, no single person should have. I love it. It sounds yeah. far more interesting than just being the owner of the, the Patriots. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll drop that goal in, in favor of this one. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, thanks so much again. It's been great to talk to you. Um, before we go, um, obviously I know you're super active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, but you know, alongside that, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, I think, I think LinkedIn is the best way. If not, then, you know, type my name into the search box of your local Slack community. I'm probably in there. Um, and yeah, otherwise, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's my most active. Um, and my email is there if you want to like take it off LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll, uh, we'll put links to that, uh, as well as RevOps Cup, who you, uh, who you named Rod as well down in the show notes. Yeah. Um, Sebastian, thank you again for joining me. It's been, Really fascinating to chat to you. 
And thank you to everyone that's listened to the episode today. We'll catch you next week. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.